Hey everyone, welcome to Infuse Church Online. My name is Taylor and I'm glad you're here as we kick off our new series, Money Talks. If your money could talk, what story would it tell? And could it tell a better one? That's what we're gonna talk about for the next four weeks. I'm glad you're with us. Do you guys remember that time um, when either you were a kid or uh, this was with your kids and it was that moment when they realized that money mattered and then like they got greedy and they wanted more and more money. And then they started like negotiating with you or used to negotiate with your parents and like how you could get more of this thing called money and how valuable, it's kind of like that video and they, and they just start pouncing on every opportunity for every little thing. Um, and I'm sure some of you probably even like stole from your parents, okay? Let's just be honest, this is confession time now that you stole, that $5, that $20 bill sitting on the counter really wasn't yours, okay? But you took it anyways, didn't you? And then you hid it in your own piggy bank, right? Okay, two of you. Great. So um, my brother, when my brother kind of hit this stage, and we have about 10 years difference in ages, and uh, when he hit this stage, uh, I took every advantage of it, um, and I convinced him uh, that the value of a nickel was more than anything. And it's not that much. Like, you think about it, like, it's bigger than a dime and a penny, and it weighs more and he doesn't know that it's not that valuable, okay? And so then I just convinced him to start doing my chores for me, and then I'd give him a nickel for every chore that he did. Of course, I just took it from my dad's change drawer, but regardless. <laughs> and so then I gave him a nickel for everything, like taking out the trash and doing the dishes and all that kind of stuff, and he still hasn't figured it out. So anyways, kidding. Um, money, money, I think it's fair to say, um, especially when we figure it out and we figure out the value that it has for us and the value it has for our life, um, certainly uh, can make us do things that are a little funny. I think it's fair to say. And so that's why we're going to talk about it. And we're going to spend four weeks talking about it. And we tend to talk about it at least once a year, if, um, if not every other year. Uh, we do a series on it. And so for the next four weeks, um, we're going to be talking about it. And specifically, we're going to be talking about and trying to answer this question. And, and the question is, if if your money could talk, what story would it tell? If your money could talk and tell us all where it's been, what's it, what, what it's done, where it's been invested, what story would it tell? Now, for some of you, the answer would be, well, it would tell a story that I had too many kids because I'm still paying those off, okay? In fact, I still have one kid that's on my payroll, and they've been there about 10 years too long, right? And they need to get off. Um, maybe your story would be of conning your seven-year-old brother like it was for me. Maybe part of your story and the money that your story would tell would be where it's been invested, and hopefully it's been invested to make a return, um, and in some cases it's been invested to make a loss. Maybe your story, your money story, involves a lot of bills, a lot of high interest rates, and a lot of debt, which isn't that much fun, and that, but that would be your story if you were really honest about it. Maybe for some of you, your story, you're hoping, goes beyond like 65 into retirement, that there will be a story for your money then so that you can retire, right? But others of you realize that that may not be so realistic. Some of us have stories of money where we're like really glad we spent it there and then places that we probably shouldn't have. And some of us have relationships that have been defined, consumed, broken, destroyed, lifted up, and broken back down again because of money. So what story would your money, if you had to think about it, if you had to write a book about it, what story would it tell? 
Now, I realize uh, the struggle in part with this question is it is a matter of perception. So you all have a choice of how you're going to tell that story. You can tell it through rose-colored glasses. You could tell it uh, uh, with a, um, a grain of salt, or you could just be straight up honest with it and run the math. So I just want you to think about it for a second and just deep down be honest with how you think you've done with your money and the story it would tell. Now, I realize any time a pastor gets up and talks about money, our tendency is to get defensive, and I completely understand why and where that comes from. I'm not going to ask you for money for this church today, okay? There is no money asked. In fact, really, actually not for the rest of this series. Um, that's not what it's about. It's about you, your money, and what it has the potential to do. And so, I just hope you can take that out of that. But I think our tendency, our tendency is to go to um, comparison. Our tendency is to go to defensiveness. And so, I, I hope that you can kind of slide that off to the side, at least for the next 25 minutes, as you think about this question. And then I want to add just like a little bit more of, of, of teeth, if you will, to this question. And, and the part that I want to add is this. Are you proud of the story? If your money could talk and it could tell a story, are you proud of it? And, and I realize um, when we have to kind of face a question like this, um, we, like I said, we do that comparison trap where we look and say, well, we've always had food on the table, so that, that's good, you know. Uh, we have a little money in the bank or a lot of money in the bank, so, so that's good. Or, or some of you say, you know, I'm just doing the best that I can, and so I'm not proud, but I'm doing the best that I can. Or you look at your neighbor and you say, well, at least I didn't do that. I'm not that dumb. You know, I didn't spend my money there. How about your relationships, especially those that you care about the most? Have they helped or have they hurt your relationships? What does that story look like? With your parents, for example, would, did, did money help your relationship with your parents or did it destroy it? What about with your kids or your family members or your close friends? Has it helped bring you together or has it distracted you and taken you away from the things that really matter? In your story, are you proud of how people see you and your relationship with money? Or do you use money to kind of put a facade in a wall or um, an, an imaginary um, wealth and imaginary security up between you and other people? And so when they look at you, they see something that's not actually there, but you've hid it behind money. And maybe you're a little bit of all those things, and maybe you're a little less of all those things. But if you had to give yourself a grade, if you are proud of your story, if you had to give your story a letter grade, what would you give your story? Your money's story. Now, I'm guessing if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would have to say somewhere around a C or a B. In other words, just average. I mean, it's not amazing, it's not incredible, but it's not awful. Maybe it's awful, but it's not that bad, hopefully, right? Do you know what grade you'd give yourself? Have, have you made choices that could have maybe been differently or investments that could have been done differently or helped people that probably needed your help and would have benefited from it, but you didn't? Because these are just to keep it. And if you're giving yourself a grade, just think about, or uh, maybe you haven't ever thought about this, but like what would an A plus, if you had to give yourself like an A plus on how you, the, the money story has gone for you, what would that look like? Or if from this point forward you were going to give yourself an A+, what would you have to do to give yourself an A+, when it came to the story of your money? In other words, an A+, looks like this, where when you look at yourself in the mirror, and when other people look at you, and maybe if you're a Jesus follower, when God looks at you, people would sit back, you'd even sit back and say, you know what, wow, that is incredible. That story is incredible. That story is a difference maker. That story is moving hearts, and it's moving minds. In fact, 
there's parts of the story and things that have come out of the story of my money that I honestly just look at it and say, wow, that is just beyond natural. That is like super natural. It's that incredible. That you could look at your story and say, I am proud of the story that it tells. And I'll just be honest with you, you don't actually have to start um, living an A-plus story and being that generous and all that until you're like a multi-billionaire, because I think that's the tendency now. They like reach a certain threshold of billions, and then it's like, well, I better just give it away, because what else am I going to do with it? You don't even have to wait till then if you stick around through this series. So, I want you to be more than average. I think, honestly, deep down, you want to be more than average. And so, I want to help you to start to begin to think about money in a way that you could tell a story, that you could look back, you could tell your kids, and you can look back on your life and eventually one day say, I am proud of that story. And to do that, I think it begins with looking at our view of money. Our view of money. To be more than average, we have to look at money in the right way. And to do that, I'm going to be doing the talking today, but really the teaching is going to come from Jesus um, because uh, as Christians, we believe Jesus was the Son of God. And then when Jesus came to earth and told us about things and ideas and topics such as money, um, he's telling us what God thinks about when God thinks about money. And so we say, hey, Jesus, what does God think about money? And then Jesus tells us, and so we say, okay, well, if God, the creator of the universe and creator of, let's say, money um, in some ways or another, uh, looks at money, then maybe we should too look at money. And I think even if you're not a Jesus follower this morning or faith is a new thing for you or you're exploring, you're checking out, I think you can still walk away from today, not having to even over-spiritualize it, that you can walk away today and say to yourself, yeah, I think he's probably right. Not sure about the God thing, but I think he's probably right. Because this is something that if you live long enough, you just learn over time what really matters and what doesn't. And so to begin the story uh, and, and looking at our view of money and a, maybe a healthy view of money, um, we're going to look at a story today, uh, a teaching of Jesus uh, that we've looked at before. This is kind of a repeat, um, and I don't often repeat things, but it's just one of those stories that there's so many takeaways from it, and it's so rich, and it's just such a fun story that it is worth telling and telling again. And, and part of that is just like, it's kind of a roller coaster of a story. You kind of begin the story, and you're kind of going through and kind of seeing how this goes. And then there's like a sharp right turn, and you kind of sit there to yourself like, did Jesus just really say that? And then you think about it a little bit more, and you're like, I kind of like what Jesus just said there. And you think about it even more, and you think to yourself, I don't like what he said there. Because if that's the truth, then I got to change. And I don't like to change especially when it comes to my money. And I just want to be honest with you, I'm in the same boat, okay? I'm not up here with any necessarily higher moral authority, okay? In fact, I have like a higher standard because it's not like I can get to heaven and say, well, like, God, I didn't know that was in there. I didn't know Jesus said that, okay? You can try that. I don't know if it'll work for you, but you can try that. I'm not sure that I can get away with that quite so easily, okay? So anyways, what does God think about when God thinks about money? And so Jesus begins, and he tells his disciples. That's where we're going to begin. Luke chapter 16, if you wanted to follow along uh, in your Bibles. Jesus told his disciples, and it wasn't just his disciples either. As we later learn in the story, there's a bunch of people there, um, mainly rich people and Pharisees, the religious leaders, okay? So Jesus got a great, diverse audience. He's got the religious people, rich people, which actually just kind of same tend to be the same thing. The rich people are the religious people. Funny how that works. Anyways, and then you got disciples and everybody else, okay? And so he's going to tell them a story, um, and it's what's called a parable, and essentially it's a story that Jesus tells, a made-up story, to illustrate a point, to illustrate a point. 
And the other thing you got to know about parables, um, and maybe you know some things if you grew up in church, um, but there's always a, a couple of main characters, all right? And one of those main characters is always God. And one of those main characters happens to always be you or I. And sometimes we've got to kind of choose who we are in the story, but in this story there's only really mainly, there's two main characters, so we don't really have much of an option here, okay? And so you got to kind of, as we go through this, figure out who's God and who you are and what you can take away from the story. Okay, so got all the audience there. Jesus is talking, telling this parable about money. He says, there was a rich man whose manager, and not just his manager, his money managers, like his accountant slash like uh, and CPA and slash uh, person who writes the checks and all that kind of stuff, okay? Whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And possessions meant everything. In those days, money wasn't quite as precious as it is now. Um, materials were uh, just as precious um, as we consider money. And so possessions you can just consider as wealth, okay? So the money manager was accused of wasting the, the master's wealth. Okay, quick question. Answer it in your mind. Who's God? And then, even though we don't want to say it, who are you? Okay, got it? Story continues. So, the master called his money manager in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. In other words, I'm going to fire you and I need you to tell me what you did wrong. Okay? And I don't know how the story goes. Jesus doesn't even go into it. He just kind of skips ahead to the next part. But I'm going to imagine that the money manager, like we so often do when it comes to someone kind of asking us questions about our money, we kind of get defensive, like I said, and we kind of give excuses. And so the money manager sits there and says, well, I had this, and then this came up, and I got to do this, and obviously this is going to help me and help them, and so I'm just going to do it this way. And so he gives these excuses. This is just my, I'm making this up, okay? And then, uh, and then he leaves the, point, or the meeting with the master, okay? So he's lost his job. He gave his excuses. He's out the door. And as he's walking out the door and walking away from this meeting, losing his job, the manager said to himself, the manager, so he's thinking inside. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job, and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm, not ash and, and I'm ashamed to beg. Imagine, in other words, I'm not going to work there. Like, imagine what my friends would say if I lost this job and had to go work there. Like, I'm not going to do that. I mean, that just, people would look at me funny, differently. And it would change how I feel about myself and how others feel about me. And it may affect my value, and I don't really like that. And so I'm going to do something about it. Here's what he says. Continues thinking to himself. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to leverage what resources and influence and power I have right now in the final days of my role as this master's money manager so that the story will end better for me in the long run. Say that one more time. I'm going to leverage the resources and everything I have right now so that in the end of this story, I will end up better off in the long term. And you'll never guess how this nefarious um, criminal uh, money manager is going to go about this, because we've all watched enough movies to know that he's going to do something that's probably illegal. And that's exactly what he does. So he calls up his master's debtors, okay, the people who owe his master money. He asks the first one, how much do you owe my master? 
The guy responds, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Okay? So the money manager does this. The, man, the manager told him, the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly. Sit down quickly because I don't have a lot of time. Time is not on my side. Listen, this is what the man, money manager knows, and honestly, you know this too. I have a set amount of time. I can earn and make and spend as much money as I can. Infinite possibilities. There's no cap. But there is a cap on my time. So I'm going to take what little time I do have and take advantage of it. Sit down quickly and make it for 450. So essentially, and, and there's some like debate over how much this actually ends up being, but I'm just going to ballpark it so you kind of get a little bit of the weight of what's happening here. Um, he essentially saved him about like 500 denarii, which was uh, the money back then. Or, and a denarii is essentially one day's wages. And so if you equate that into today's term, we're going to say one day of work, about 10 hours of work, because that's probably how long they worked back then, you know, sunrise to sunset kind of thing. Uh, 10 hours at minimum wage, okay, ends up to be about $36,000. So the money manager just saved this debtor $36,000. How would you feel about that? Like if you just walk into, um, you know, the bank tomorrow and the, the, the bank says, hey, we just want to let you know we're going to write off $36,000 of your mortgage. That'd be nice. I think that'd help out a little bit. Might write them a thank you card maybe, yeah. Or you went to your landlord, and your landlord said, you know what, I just, I want you to live rent-free until your rent equals $36,000. Then you can start paying again, but I don't want a dollar before. Some of you are pretty excited about that prospect, yeah? Yeah, you'd probably sit there as this, this debtor is thinking to himself, like, thanks. And you know what, honestly, um, money manager, if ever you need anything, because you just helped me out a ton, if ever you need anything, let me know. I'm here to help you. You have gained my attention. You have gained my influence into your life. I'm ready to help you when you need it, Mr. Money Manager, to which the money manager is like, great, because I'll be talking to you real soon. He continues. So then he goes and he asks the second one. He says, how much do you owe? And the second debtor said, thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, um, and he told him, take your bill and make it 800 Essentially, saves the same amount, same amount of money, about like $36,000 in today's terms at minimum wage. So what does the debtor do? Debtor says, hey, thanks so much. If ever you need anything, Mr. Money Manager, you just come to me and I am here to help you. You let me know to which the money manager says, of course, oh, we'll be talking soon. Now, remember, who's God in this story? The master. God is the master. God is the one who just lost $72,000 in like a day. What do you think God is going to do to that poor little money manager? Jesus tells us. The master smited that poor little man until nothing was left, and then, he lived, and then everybody else lived happily ever after the end. Okay? End of story. I made that up, okay? That's not actually how it went. But you kind of, some of you, depending on your view of God, you thought, God, this is the moment when God starts smiting people, okay? You steal from God, you're going to get smited, okay? And I, I realize some of you are like, well, smited is actually not a word, and I understand that, but I don't, seriously, this is, the, the correct word is smoted, smote, okay? The master smote that poor little, like, that's not cool, okay? So we're going to go with smited, so just please don't send me an email, okay? So smited is a word. 
So I made this up, okay? But what Jesus says is actually really shocking. It's this moment where you took like a really hard left turn, like, what? What did you just say, Jesus? Here's what Jesus actually says. The master commended, so God commended the dishonest manager. I'm sorry, time out. God, you commended the who? The dishonest manager. But here's the catch. He did not commend him because he was a dishonest manager, because he committed fraud and embezzled money. He commended him because he acted shrewdly. Shrewdly. This is not a word we use often. Shrewdly means essentially you're smart, you're clever, and you're able to take a very little and have it go a long way. You're able to take a little bit of what you've been given and have it make a big difference. You're really shrewd. And here's why this matters. And here's what God's trying to get at when it comes to your money. And here's what the money manager understands about money that you and I so often forget. That one, we have a very little bit of time. And two, our money is nothing more than a tool. It is a tool. We miss this all the time. We treat money as something so much more valuable, so much more unique than any other tool in our toolbox. Because don't tools save us time? Don't tools help us to get things done better and buy us or help us build or create or get nicer things? That's what tools do. They make our life easier, just like money does. But like I just said, he also recognized that it was a temporary tool, that this tool had like a little bit of time. It wasn't really like a tool that he owned. It was more like a temporary tool that was on loan, that time is limited, that eventually that tool is going to be completely useless to us. I promise you, a hundred years from now, it will be useless to you. Does that make sense? Because you won't be able to use the tool. Okay, underground. Okay, cool. Okay, but there's going to be times in your life where you're going to think everything about this tool, but the money manager understands that it is just a means to an end. It is just simply a tool, and eventually it will be completely worthless. Now, I realize what some of you are thinking, well, if I'll just take, if, you, if tools are money, then I'm just going to take my money, and I'm going to give it to my kids, and I'm going to take all my stuff, and I'm just going to give it to my kids, and that will make them happy, and they'll live happily ever after. <laughs> but essentially, you know this. What are your kids going to do with that eventually? Like, if you, your kids don't do it, your grandkids or your great-grandkids, what are they going to do with it? Sell it. Yeah. And they're probably going to lose it or spend it. Fair? I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. A thousand years ago, nobody's sitting here today and saying, well, I'm wealthy because my grandfather a thousand years ago left me this chunk of change or left me this item. That's just, it's not happened. It doesn't happen anymore. It's a temporary tool. And so I thought maybe to help some of you um, guy, uh, folks, uh, guys, men especially, um, this is a battery, okay? This is an M18 Red Lithium HD 9.0. It's incredible, isn't it? To a Milwaukee drill set. And I thought about money, and I thought about this drill battery of mine, um, because I think it operates on some of the same principles. Uh, one of the things we like about money is money's really versatile. We can use it in a lot of different ways to do a lot of different things, and so can I now with this battery. 
Now, I only use it to weed eat my yard with my Milwaukee weed eater. I should really like be getting an endorsement or something. But here is also the lineup of tools you can win today. Just kidding. So here's all the tools that this battery can go and power. And there's things in here like, I don't know, you can chainsaw, leaf blower, you can go spray things. I don't even know why you need a battery to spray things, but you can cut things, drill things. I don't even know how half of these things work, okay? But like, look at all the things you could do with it. And sometimes so that's what we think about money. Well, if I had just had more, look at all the things I could do with it. And it works the same way because what does money as a tool give us? It gives us energy. It gives us power. It takes something that is otherwise stagnant and brings it to new life. It brings attention and influence and potential to it. Just like a tool, it can build new things. So going back to money and taking the analogy away, I mean, what is your money built? What story has it told? built a bigger house, better house, better kitchen, latest fashion, latest upgrade, nice coffee. What has your money put power behind? My watch has put power behind Apple computer. Yeah? My phone has too. This TV went to Samsung. I put power into those things, energy into those things, because that's where it got invested. That is how and why money is a tool, and nothing more. There's no more magic to it. It's just a tool that brings power and energy behind that in which it gets invested. And the reason that I think we get funny about money is because, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I have never had someone come to me and say, you know what, Taylor, we're, uh, our marriage is falling apart because of uh, we just don't have enough 18-volt batteries in our life. I've never had someone say to me, I tried to get my husband or my spouse to go out and get a better job so they could bring more batteries home. I've never had that. I've never had people change jobs for batteries. I've had people change jobs for money. I've had marriages destroyed and families destroyed because of money. This is why I think Jesus is right when Jesus says, if you look at your money as anything more than what it actually is, a tool to be used on loan temporarily for the time, the little bit of time that you have left in the grand scheme of the universe, you may have a problem on your hand if you use it incorrectly. But if you use it correctly in the way it was intended, you have the ability to put power and influence and support and energy behind that which matters most. And then Jesus, I love this, as if, as if Jesus is like reading what you're thinking, and he, and, he, and he calls out the Christians. He calls out the Jesus followers. So Jesus followers this is where you really got to pay attention, okay? He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light, which is a really confusing way of saying um, the people of this world, i.e. companies, i.e. criminals, are a lot better at spending money shrewdly and getting it to serve their own interests than sometimes Christians are. In fact, Christians, sometimes you're the worst at being shrewd when it comes to money. And I'm including myself in this, okay? I mean, Christians, just ask yourself this question. Um, how much money do you put towards your hunger versus the world's hunger? I don't like that question. How much money do you put towards, um, like, helping you versus helping your neighbor? How much money do you put towards, um, like, uh, your faith, even, versus your neighbor's faith? Probably a little bit more on the first half than anything. 
One of the reasons that I know this plays out is um, we as a church do some things out in the community. If you've been here for a while, you know that we, we do like movies in the park and in a, couple, in a month we're going to do like holiday hoopla and Santa Claus, all that fun stuff. And we also do an Easter egg hunt. And I thought it was really interesting this year, um, I found out that there was some social media posts about Infuse that were not exactly that positive uh, and questioning why a church would be having an Easter egg hunt with the Easter bunny. And if that was false advertising. And so I just, I thought to myself, that is kind of funny because nowhere am I advocating that you should please come and go worship the bunny. I'm just asking you to come have fun, pick some eggs up, eat some candy, go home, pet a little baby chick. It's cute. It's adorable. It's fun. Family fun. Okay? That's what I'm advocating. All right? And here's what happens, though, when you do that. You gain influence because then people in the community look at the church and say, you know what? I'm not sure I'm going to go to church, and I'm not sure about that whole God thing, but if I were to go to a church, I'd go to the one with the bunny because they, like, seem to have fun, and they don't get weird about bunnies. <laughs> Let me put it as Jesus would put it. I tell you to use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What is our hope as a church to an extent? Is that when other people look at the church, they say, I don't get the whole faith thing, but I'm so glad that church is here. I like them. They're good people. If I could make a church or make churches, or if the church could be more like any church, I'd want it to be more like them. Yes, sometimes that requires having an Easter bunny. But that's okay. Why? Because you're being shrewd about it, people. The worldly wealth to gain friends. Gain friends. In other words, build relationships, gain influence into people's lives because eventually everything you own is going to be gone. Promise you, it will be gone. So you either use it to the maximum potential to make the greatest amount of impact or you don't use it at all. And guess what? This is the coolest part, is that when you get into eternal dwellings, in other words, you get into heaven, wouldn't it be cool if the people who are there to greet you when you get there are the friends you won with the resources and the tools that you had when you lived? That you would be greeted by a crowd of people thanking you for your impact into their lives because you use the tools at your disposal for something bigger than yourself. See, our culture, capitalism, Americanism, I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying we got to keep it in perspective because that perspective says what I have to show for it is most important. What I have to show for my life is most important. I got this, I got that, I got this, I got that, I got him, I got her, I got this house, this car, everything. What I have to show for it matters most. And Jesus steps into this whole situation and says, it's not what I have to show for it. It's not what I have to show for it. It's who you have to show for it. That's what God cares about. That's what Jesus cares about. And let's be honest, deep down, you know that's what you really care about most too. Like that, that stirs your spirit in a way that nothing else can, that no paycheck can. It's who you help and who you influence that brings your heart alive and changes lives. And so if you begin to see the world like God sees the world, especially money as God sees the world, you would care more about the who than the what. Maybe you need to look at money as God looks at money. 
Maybe this is why you need to take that step of surrendering your life and everything in it to Him versus to money or whatever has consumed you because it's that which brings life to this world and life to you. And as if Jesus, again, knows that that's what we're talking about, just a couple verses later, he says this very well-known verse, no one can serve two masters. No one can have two masters. Masters, the things that direct you, influence you, and call you into whatever you're supposed to be doing. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will devote it to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you know this, God knows this, but and deep down I think some of you know this, is that one of your chief competitors for your heart is your money and your stuff and the security that that brings. One of the chief competitors for your heart is your money and your stuff and the security that it brings. And I know you're going to push back and say, well, Taylor, I, I don't think I'm actually that bad. Fair. Just consider then for a second where you're going to go tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and hang out at until 5 or 6 or 7 or however long you work. Why do you go there again? because you love the people, because you love what you do. You'd do it for free then, right? You'd work just as hard. You wouldn't cut any corners if you had to do that same job for free. You wouldn't maybe show up at like 8.30 because, well, they don't pay me anything. Would you work as hard for that? Or does it maybe have a bit more control over the, you than you'd like to admit? If it doesn't have control, if it's easy for you to serve God and, and not serve money, then I would really encourage you to give 10% away. Don't give it here. Give it somewhere. Give it, just give it away if it's not an issue for you. That way you can't claim that, that you know, the, the church is using our money and blah, 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 blah. You don't even have to go there. Just give it somewhere else. 10%. Give it away. Your, most of yours, effective tax rate is higher than 10%. But I guarantee you, between the IRS and God, one of, you, one of them cares for you a lot more. I'll let you decide who. As a kid, see, I thought I read this verse, and I thought all that what I have to do, what God's saying here is that I got to give it all away, okay? I just got to give it all away. I got to live a life of poverty and become a monk. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. He says, see money as God sees it. It's a tool. And let's be honest, nobody wants to serve a tool. <laughs> don't send that to your boss tomorrow, okay? I don't want emails. <laughs> Subject line, you should watch this. This is for you, okay? <laughs> Nobody wants to serve a tool. Use what, here's the point. Use, if you're going to take anything away from today, use what you've been given to show who you follow, hopefully Jesus, and who you've helped. Use what you've been given to show who you follow and who you've helped, and I guarantee you, you will not tell me at the end of your life, when we have a conversation, you will not tell me, gosh, Taylor, I really regretted that decision. Worst decision I've ever made definitely didn't lead the story of my money to like a, a, a plus range. Definitely didn't do that. Never. I seriously doubt that that's what's going to happen. This is what it's all about, using what you've been given to show who you follow and who you've helped. Who you follow and who you've helped. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to get really practical about this. We're going to answer, like, why you feel so stressed about, stressed about money, because for some of you, that's a barrier to generosity. That's a barrier to looking at money in a healthy way to kind of remove that stress. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about simple things that you can do better in your financial story and how to do this and how this makes a difference, okay? Now, last thing I want to leave you with, and I realize we're really crunched on time. We got started late. My mic wasn't working, so sorry about that. Okay, but here's the thing, and I can't miss this, is we do every month, every year, we've done it every year for the last three years now. We've only been around four, so it's not a lot of 
the time, okay, is we do Be Rich, okay? Um, and I want you to get involved or consider getting involved in this. This is like your today's step. I'm going to take this away, and I'm going to get involved right now. Um, we raise money, and we give it all away. That's pretty much what we do. We raise a bunch of money, and we give it all away, okay? And specifically, and this is what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, okay, we, we, the goal today, this, this year, is to raise $3,000 and just give it all away. And part of that, we do this every year, we pay off the lunch debt for Clear Creek of Manna um, because uh, a lot of parents have to choose between do I pay my kids lunch debt off um, because uh, we're behind in the bills and all this stuff, or do like I fix my furnace? And you think I'm exaggerating, and I'm not. Two years ago, that was somebody's story. They said it just made it so much easier to know that I could go and fix my furnace and my kid's um, bill was going to be paid off. Uh, it was such a relief for me makes a difference. Uh, we give it to IC Compassion, which is a local nonprofit organization on the other side of town. They do legal aid for free for people. They help with refugees. Um, they do food bank. Awesome stories. Just uh, a pastor friend of mine, his name's David. He's uh, from Africa, and he came here seeking asylum to the United States. He was granted asylum, but then did not bore you in the legal jargon. Essentially, for his family to come, he had to stay here, and then his family were processed through over the last seven years. So he hasn't seen them in seven years, and then last month his family was approved, and so he got to reunite with his family. He's a pastor. He's doing awesome things within the African church up in Waterloo area, and they were, he was helped um, and supported legally and financially through IC Compassion, which was super awesome. Uh, international missions, we're going to give a por portion of this away to international missions, especially for hurricane relief, because there's just been a lot of devastation, especially just south of us in the Bahamas um, from that, help education programs, and then over the next couple of month, uh, weeks, I'm going to show stories and all that to, to help you understand what this goes to and how it makes a difference. Uh, and then we're going to do the giving tree. That's something we always do every year uh, to help students locally um, and here in the community and maybe even with a hospital uh, with uh, gifts this year, okay? And none of it goes to Infuse, by the way. Zero dollars goes to Infuse. In fact, if you give online, which is totally okay, you, and some of you know this, but every time you give online, a percentage of it is taken away for credit card processing fees or ACH, all that kind of stuff. We pay those fees. So dollar for dollar, everything just goes. It's 100% go. And so here's what I need you to do, and here's what I need you to think about is where your money goes to matters, and it says who um, you follow, and uh, it, it, it tells you um, who you're making a difference in their lives. And so what I, what I need you to do for Be Rich is to consider um, going online uh, to our website or on our app, and there are funds you can choose. The default one is like general fund, but if you click on it, it scrolls down, and one of the options is Be Rich. I think it's like the second one down if you give online. Or if you give in person and there's a giving envelope, you can write in the blank Be Rich and then how much money you want to go to Be Rich and to those awesome organizations and people doing awesome things. And I'll just be honest with you, uh, as I am honest with myself, some of us, and this is up to you, but some of us need to like be writing a $500 check this month. Like, to say, yeah, I'm not going to spend that on Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Christmas gifts and all that stuff. I'm going to do that to be rich into my community. Some of you need to write $100 checks, $50 checks, $20 checks. You know what you need to do. You feel that nudge. You need to listen to that, okay? And if you say, nope, I'm not giving. That's not cool with me. I don't want to do it. That's totally fine. Please just come back next week and be a part of this series because it's going to be a lot of fun, okay? And we're going to talk about it more and everything that's, that, that, that's going on. Um, but that's the point. Money puts energy behind things, and I'm just inviting you, especially at a month uh, where we celebrate Thanksgiving, that we should take some time to put our resources behind things that really make a difference in people's lives, okay? That's my spiel. Let me pray for you so we can sing this song and get you out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for your son coming to earth to not only die 
and show his love for us, your love for us through his death and resurrection, um, but also, and just as importantly, um, Lord, that uh, we get to hear uh, these stories, and we get to learn to love, live, and spend our money better and more wisely. Thank you that you have preserved this text over like the last 2,000 years so we can read it today, the story today, to learn and to grow from it, to have meaningful conversations with our spouse and our family members about what money and the role that it plays in our lives. Lord, help us to figure that out in our hearts and our minds so we can live generously and kindly and bring life and love to other people. Lord, we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Even if you watch online, we would love for you to be a part of our Be Rich campaign. In fact, you can even make a difference in your local community. We'd just love to celebrate that with you. So you can send us an email. Let us know what you're doing, how it's making a difference. We'd love to be a part of that. And just remember what money is. It's a tool. So let's put it to work in things that actually make a difference in people's lives. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.